This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Notice one of the things that God wants you to see. He wants you to see Paul is inspired by the Holy Ghost to pray. In other words, here's a Holy Ghost-inspired prayer. God is inspiring Paul to pray this. And then the Holy Ghost inspires Paul to write that he prayed this. And then God saves this throughout the ages for you to know. That says it's pretty important to me. Notice what he prayed. He prayed that God, that uh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation would come to you so that you would know what is the exceeding greatness of his, of his power. To us would who believe according to the working of his mighty power. There are four words in this verse that are translated or mean some form of power. That you'd know the exceeding greatness of his power. That's the word dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite. It means ability. According to the working, the working, the word working means energy. It's translated power in other places in the New Testament. Might, mighty power. The first word mighty means strength. And the second word power means might. Most translations translate it the strength of his might. Four words are used in verse 19 to describe God's power. And it's the greatest recorded working of God's power in all of Scripture. Now, why in the world would the Holy Ghost inspire Paul to use four different words that means power in some form or another? Why would he do that? Because he's trying to show that the power behind the authority that we have in the name of Jesus is unmatched in the universe. It's so great that he says that it's caused Jesus to be raised far above all power of the devil, all principality and power and might and dominion, everything the devil's got. He's saying that the power of God that resides in you, and notice notice that phrase, to usward who believe. To usward who believe. Now, folks, let let me suggest something to you, and that is this. Jesus didn't need the power the devil had in heaven. There's only one reason that he needed to obtain the power of sin and death, which is what the power of the devil had, which is what the Bible says you're delivered from. There's only one reason that he needed the power of sin and death, and that was to set you free. Adam falling did not affect God one way or another. I'm sure it disappointed him. I'm sure it grieved him because man was his child. And he wanted to fellowship with man. And now that man is separated by sin through spiritual death. He's separated from God. And so now God has to make a way for man to have limited access back to him. But as far as God is concerned, as far as eternity is concerned, it didn't matter to God one way or the other. God's still God. He could have poured out judgment on the earth, destroyed man, and started all over. Why did he do this? Why did Jesus go to the trouble of coming to the earth and showing what authority through righteousness does and how it destroys the devil's authority or or works uh, in um, opposition to the devil's authority? Why did he show that? Why did he go to the cross and sacrifice and go through the suffering of the cross? And I'm sure the physical suffering wasn't uh, wasn't, um, uh, fun or convenient or, or pleasant in any way whatsoever. Jesus suffered greatly in physical form. 
But the thing that he shies away more than anything else is, is spiritual death. He comes to the place where he knows that he has to be made sin. He has to take on the very nature of sin itself if he's going to pay the price for it. So he does. Now, why does he do that? So that he can be raised from the dead to restore mankind to the original position of dominion through righteousness. He does it to us who believe. It's only for you. Jesus had no need for authority. He's in heaven. He doesn't need authority on the earth. He's the creator of the earth. He could have exacted judgment upon the earth anytime he wanted to. He did it for you. That phrase to us were to believe. That we'd know the exceeding greatness of his power to us were to believe. Folks, that's everything. To us were to believe. And then he describes the power in four different words. In other words, it's a greater manifestation, a greater display of God's power than anything we have recorded in Scripture. Now, to me, raising the dead seems like a big deal. But that doesn't compare to this power. To me, stopping the sun and the moon when Joshua prayed seems like a big deal. Parting the Red Sea, kind of big too. You look at some of the things that happened in the Old Testament where the laws of nature that never change were superseded because of someone's prayer or someone's action. Looks like a pretty big deal. But nothing in comparison to the power that was on display when Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, here's the reason why I'm focusing on that uh, and taking time to talk about it. And that is this. When you exercise your authority in the name of Jesus, you may know, not know the full extent of that authority. But the devil knows the power behind it. You may be like the rookie cop that hasn't figured out yet how people are going to respond to you when you tell them to stop. You may not yet have the experience to know how people are going to respond to the badge and the uniform and the, and the gun you wear on your hip. But the devil knows. The enemy knows. If the enemy knows that your power or the power behind your authority is so much greater than anything he can do. And, and notice the way Jesus said it again in Luke ten nineteen: Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. He, he almost makes a casual statement. Yeah, your authority is greater than anything the devil can do. And nothing can by any means hurt you. The devil can't find a way to hurt you through the authority that you have. If I was one of the 70, I'd want to stay there for a while. I'd want to have a seminar on that. Wait a minute. You said that kind of quick. Let's go over that piece by piece. But they've already got some experience with it. They've healed the sick. They've cast out devils. Now, that story I told you about uh, Queen Victoria and, and Prime Minister Gladstone, that's an example of what conflicting forces are like the one with the greatest power wins well then why doesn't the church always win because the church doesn't know the power they have notice paul's praying that our spiritual eyes would be opened so that we'd know the power that we have if you don't know the power you have behind that backs up the authority in the name of jesus the authority that's resident in the name of jesus the devil will push you and push you and push you till you give in but the reality is very simply this. These same principalities and powers and might and dominion are the ones that Ephesians 6 says we wrestle with. Why do we wrestle with them? Because the devil's trying to talk you out of 
the greatness of the power that resides in you. And if he can keep you blinded to that fact. That's why Paul's praying that our eyes would be opened. If he can keep you blinded to that fact. To that reality. Then he can keep that authority from working in your life. Even though you have the power to back it up. Are you out there? Making any sense? All right. Verse 19 again. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Power, 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 power. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, spiritually dead, or spiritual death, and set him in his own right hand in the heavenly places. Notice what that power did. It not only raised Jesus from spiritual death, in other words, Jesus became the first person ever born again. Some people don't like to think of those terms, but that's exactly what happened. If Jesus was spiritually dead, then to be raised from the dead would mean that he was born again. Jesus was not reserving some kind of life in and of himself. If he was, then he was not made sin. It says he was made sin. He became sin. Well, if he became sin, that means he lost the life and the righteousness because of that life. That's what I think he's drawing back from in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't think he's drawing back for a couple of hours of, of suffering on the cross. As bad as that might be. I think he's drawn back from spiritual death. That's what he agonizes over. He says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? How could God forsake him? That's when he was made sin. That's when he was separated from God. Up until that moment in time, he could have called the angels to get him down. But once he's made sin, he's in the hands of the devil. Just like the unsaved in this world are. So notice what it does. It raises him from the dead, number one. Number two, that power sets him at God's right hand in heavenly places. Notice Jesus, seated at the right hand of God, is seated there because of the power that raised him from the dead. The same power that resides in you. Please notice that the power behind the throne of Jesus is the same power that dwells in you. Well, you get your head wrapped around that, nothing will stop you in this world. See, everybody, every Christian accepts that God, oh, Jesus, yes, Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. He's all-powerful. He can do anything. Well, the Bible says the same power is in you. Can you do anything? Oh, dear Lord, no. Why not? you got the same power. See, in Matthew 28, when Jesus appears and says in verse 18, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth, that really meant something to him. I don't know what it means to you when you read it, but it really meant something to him. He's saying, I gained back the power that was lost through death, spiritual death. I regained that power. So what does he do? He commissions the church. He says, you go therefore into all the world. In other words, since the same power dwells in me, that dwells in me that created my throne at the right hand of the Father is the power that dwells in you. You've got the same resurrection power, 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 power dwelling in you if you only come to your to to the understanding that that's what you have that same power is in you i'll take care of things in heaven you take care of things here on the earth in other words he restored man to a place of dominion join mike webb and foothill family church every sunday night at 6 p.m for our weekly healing school healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body 
as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. You're looking in the future for something to happen. You need to turn around and look behind you and what the Bible says is already happening. Because behind you is the cross, and on the cross, Jesus shed his blood for your sins, for your peace, literally your financial well-being, and your sickness. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWeb.tv. Foothill Family Church. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. See, we try to get away from the devil. Some of the stuff going on, it's, it's um, well, I had to pray about this a little bit because I see things going on in the Middle East and the beheadings of these Christians and all that kind of stuff, and it's terrible stuff. There's no question about it. It's terrible stuff. It's so foreign to us. It makes us think that, that, the, that you know, this is stuff that happened hundreds of years ago and stuff. Well, folks, stuff like this has been going on all along. We're just too civilized in our bubbles trying to find out what the latest celebrity news is to realize what the real world is all about. But I see these things and, and I get a lot of emails and, and see some of the Facebook stuff where people are talking about praying that the persecution would stop and stuff like that. And I asked the Lord about it. And I said, Lord, how do you pray about this? And instantly he gave me a prayer. I just started speaking out loud a prayer. And it had nothing to do with that the persecution cease. But that the glory of God would drown the persecution. That God would reveal to his enemies the greatness of his power. See, these things are prophesied, folks. These things are said in the scripture that it's going to happen. What do you think would cause a worldwide revival? What do you think would cause a flood of people coming into the kingdom of God? For God to stop the persecution so we could go back to business as usual? Or for God to show his power in the middle of persecution so that the enemies of God are thwarted? And people realize that the name of Jesus is the greatest name that there is. God didn't promise you flowery beds of ease till Jesus comes. In fact, he said things would get worse and worse. But he also said, I'm coming back for a glorious church. Well, wouldn't a glorious church be a church that's exercising authority? Could you be a glorious church if you're not exercising authority in the way that God intended? I don't think so. So anyway... What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty, mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, number one, number two, and set him in his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above. Say far above. Now say all. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion. I guess we could say four alls there. All principality and all power and all might and all dominion. That's what it means. And every name, not one left out, every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the ages to come. And hath put all things under his feet. Here's how far above Jesus has been seated at the right hand of God. And has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head of the church over all things. Now I changed the wording there, but I did it on purpose. 
Because some people look at that and say, well, yeah, Jesus is the head over all things. Jesus. Oh, Jesus, do something about this. That's not what he's saying. He's saying Jesus was given to be the head of the church. Jesus seated in heaven is the head of the church, which is his body. Well, where is the body? Where is the church? Over all things. Why? Because verse 22, his body is the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Do you realize what that's saying? The fullness of him that filleth all in all. Can I translate that for you in a little different way? His body which filleth uh, filleth all in all literally means this. Which Jesus, as the head of the church, can't do anything except it's done through his body. The body is the fullness of him. You ever seen anybody's head do anything without the body? Nothing other than think. The head can come up with all kinds of plans, but if the body doesn't carry them out, what good are the plans? That's what the Bible's saying. The Bible is saying we've been raised, it says Jesus has been raised and seated at the right hand of God the Father, far above all principality and power and might. God's sitting there as the head of the church. And he seated him far above all things. Which means the church is seated far above all things. And the church is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Meaning Jesus, if he's going to get anything done here in this earth. Now heaven, he takes care of on his own. Anybody ever had Jesus ask you if he can take care, if you'll take care of something in heaven? Well, of course not. He said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. I'll take care of heaven, you take care of earth. God didn't make man to have authority in heaven. He made man to have authority on the earth. So his body, which is the church that fills all in all, very simply means Jesus, if he's going to do anything here on the earth, has to do it through his body. Which means we, if we're instructed of the Lord to do something, to exercise authority over the devil, and don't because we're afraid or whatever other reason, it means God's plans can't be accomplished. Can you see why it's so important for us to know who we are in Christ? So that when the Lord speaks to us to do something, whether it's something small in our estimation or something that supersedes the laws of nature, which we have example after example of in Scripture, we don't stop and think, oh, I can't do that. That can't be the Lord. Jesus, you're going to have to do that yourself. And he's sitting in heaven saying, I'm trying to. That's why I'm using you. I'm the head, you're the body. Chapter 2. And you hath he quickened. And you hath he quickened. Now this, grammatically, this was really tough for for the translators. Notice the phrase, hath he quickened. And you hath he quickened, which were dead in sins. Trespasses and sins. Notice the phrase hath he quickened is in italics. That means it's not in the original translation. There is no verb in verse 1. There is none. There is no verb. And you get all kinds of commentators and, and, uh, and, and theologians and whatever names you want to call people. That comment on this verse. They'll come up with all kinds of spiritual reasons and and the Holy Ghost left this verse unfinished and stupid stuff. Just really dumb stuff. I mean stuff that it'd take a real educated religious person to come up with. But the fact is very simply this. 
Paul is telling us is covering one thought. He's talking about the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and you. He's talking about the same power that made Jesus alive. Did two things. Number one, it brought Jesus back to life, raised him from the dead. Literally, it replaced spiritual death with life, the life of God, eternal life. And secondly, set him at the right hand of God the Father. And those are the verses, the, uh, the verse, what is that, verse 20? Yeah, verse 20. Verse 20 is where the verb is that connects chapter 2 and verse 1. Because it's saying at the same time that God did two things for Jesus through the exceeding greatness of his power, 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 power. God did two things. He raised Jesus from the dead and you who were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 6, and has raised us up together to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. Somebody once said, some commentator, some theologian said this. He said, there seems to be a parallel track between what God did for Jesus and what he did for the believer. He couldn't be more wrong. There is no parallel track. It's the same track. It's the same track. The same power that Paul is praying that our eyes would be open to that raised Jesus from the dead. You know what kind of power I mean? The four kinds of power. Power, 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 power. The greatest display of God's power ever recorded in Scripture. That's the power that dwells in you. It did two things. Number one, it raised Jesus from the dead and raised, uh, I'm sorry, it, uh, uh, yeah, raised Jesus from the dead, made Jesus alive from spiritual death. He made you alive. Secondly, it set Jesus at your own right, at his own right hand, God's own right hand, and raised you up together to be seated with him. Now, can I ask you a question? If we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, that means we share the same throne. Who in their right mind would think Jesus has greater power on the throne, the same throne that we're sitting on, than we do? The fact that he says that we're raised and seated together with Christ in heavenly places would have to mean that the same power that's available to Jesus now, all power in heaven and earth, is available to us now to the degree that he's delegated that authority and power to us. Now, again, he hasn't delegated any heavenly power. I don't have the right to rearrange heaven. I don't have the right to make your mansion look like one thing or another or anything else. God's got heaven taken care of. We have no authority there whatsoever. But he did delegate authority to us on the earth. So the all power that's given unto me in heaven and earth, the the part of it that applies to earth, that's been given to you. Now, wouldn't it be stupid for the policeman to stand in the intersection and pray that the cars would stop? He doesn't pray. He doesn't stand out there and say, you know, well, yesterday I felt strong, but today uh, it's just I'm, just, I'm just not up to par. I'm not sure it's going to work. It's going to work not because of how he feels. It's going to work not because of what he thinks. It's going to work because of the power behind the symbols of his authority. Now, if we understand that about how things work naturally, When we understand that God who created the earth with physical laws with much greater logic and much greater order and much greater detail than anything that we could come up with, why would we assume that spiritual laws are any different? And you have the quickened 
and has raised us up together. Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter uh, chapter 2 verse 1 and chapter 2 and verse 6 is everything about why chapter 1 is important. If we just stop with saying, well, here's what God did for Jesus and here's the power that he has seated at the right hand of the Father, well, good for him. But what does that do for you? But chapter 2 tells what happened for you. That's why to us who believe is so important. Because you hath he quickened and has raised you up to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. What does that mean? That means to the degree that our spiritual eyes are open to see. And by the way, God's not just the only one that opens your eyes by himself. See, if we stop with that and we say, well, it's up to God. And I, you know, I'm, I'm glad for the ones that God's opened their eyes, but he hadn't opened mine. Now, the reason that he gave you the scripture, the reason he gave you this information is so that your eyes would be opened. But you've got to take hold of it by faith. You've got to take hold of it. You've got to grab hold. You've got to say, now, wait a minute. Here's what the Bible says I am. So I believe this is who I am. And that's where the fight starts. Because once you start trying to take hold of those things, that's where the devil says, no, you're not. That's not who you are. It may be who other people are, but you know you. And starts trying to give you all the reasons why you can't exercise authority, why the power that backs up the name of Jesus won't work for you. But to the degree that you see it and act on it, You and I, just like the 70 were commissioned to go into other towns before Jesus, you and I have been commissioned to destroy the works of the devil here on the earth. To occupy till he comes. That's what that means. It means do the works of Jesus till Jesus gets here. The gospels show us what his works were. Healing the sick, casting out devils, exercising authority over the devil at every turn. Both in our own lives And in certain cases where others give us authority or permission to exercise that authority in their lives. That's what you're left here for. Otherwise, why'd God leave us here? Why not take us to heaven? Heaven's better than earth. Your best day on earth doesn't compare to a one moment in heaven. So why did God leave us here? To do the works of Jesus till he comes back. If he commissioned us to do those works without empowering us to do them, then he's an unjust God. All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth, Jesus said. Go ye therefore. Go ye therefore. You use my authority in the earth, I'll take care of it in heaven. Folks, this communion elements, this bread and this juice, represents the life that Jesus shed, the blood that he shed, the life that he sacrificed, So that you could have power, 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 power. So that you could know what God's plan is for your life. So that you could know what belongs to you because you're a child of God. And even though this is part of the inheritance that you have, Paul uh, identifies it, specifies it, separates it out and says, and that you'd know what is the power, 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 power that made you alive like it made Jesus alive and raised you to the right hand of the Father just like it raised Jesus. The Bible says that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he sat down at the right hand of God. And the Bible says that we're also seated with him at the right hand of God. That place is a place of authority. 
Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Four characteristics, different characteristics of power to identify the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, the Bible says that Paul is praying by the Holy Ghost that we would come to the knowledge of that power in us. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.